The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS District community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Coffee Pals, a platform that matches people in your organization for weekly coffee through Microsoft Teams. By building personal relationships in your organization through coffee chats, you'll increase engagement, morale, and productivity. They even offer a 30-day free trial to all of their pro plans so you can try it out with your team or your organization. Start new conversations and build deeper relationships to create engagement across your organization by visiting coffeepals.co. If you'd like to receive a promo code for a 90-day trial of Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash SAS district today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we're starting our special episodes as part of a mini-series for this month called Inside Balsamic, where we interview different team members of a SaaS company, in this case, Balsamic, to learn their expertise as part of their overall business strategy. In today's mini-series of Inside Balsamic, we're going to talk about how to resist feature creep and better project management and prioritization. Today, we have our guest, Heldi from Balsamic joining us. Heldi is the founder and CEO of Balsamic, a fully bootstrap company focused on wireframing and UI UX. So Heldi first joined us where he shared his full background and story on episode 18. So if you guys want to check that out, make sure to go back and listen to that episode. Otherwise, welcome Heldi. Super excited to have you back on the SaaS District show today. Thank you, Akil. I'm very excited to be back. Thanks for having us. So I want to get into you know the the part of the, the the main core of this episode, which is you know a tough challenge in SaaS product management, right? So in terms of how to decide what to prioritize when you have so many features to decide on, uh, what to work on next, how to prioritize what is right. Um, most of the time, it's growth, but I know in your case, it's it's a little bit different. How does how does Balsamic choose what to work on? How are you guys keeping track of what you could possibly do and, and work on next? What's your framework there? Sure. Well, first of all, let me rejoice in the fact that this is a product management uh, topic and uh, my dream in life uh, is still to become a product manager. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's my favorite thing to do. So um, I'm honored that you will ask me these kind of questions. But, um, you know, I don't have any formal product management training. I just have a lot of industry experience. I've shipped uh, a lot of things uh, in my career. So what I've learned is that... um, how to prioritize, uh, it's an art form, uh, it's super important, um, and, uh, but it can be learned. So um, we have uh, a few techniques that we, that we use. So first of all, we, uh, we bucket things into three different buckets. We have uh, features, uh, bugs, and chores. So obviously, you know what features are and bugs. Chores is is work that is invisible to the customer, but that needs to be done. So some refactoring or fixing a uh, security patch or uh, adding uh, monitors uh, on your servers to make sure you get alerted when they're about to go down. You know, uh, so those are those are the chores. So once you have those uh, uh, three categories, then um, uh, prioritizing kind of becomes an exercise in um, 
I, I see these three categories as three different accelerator pedals, and you can uh, decide what to push uh, uh, at each moment. So, and um, so sometimes you push more on features, sometimes you push more more on bugs, sometimes you push a little bit on all three. Um, how to decide largely depends on the life cycle of the product that you're working on. So uh, say it's a new product with zero customers, right? You're just building it. Uh, there, it's all features all the time. Obviously, you have to build the thing. You might fix a few bugs that you find yourself, but you don't have any customers to tell you about them. Uh, you probably don't have uh, a QA team involved so much at this point. So it's all features for however long it takes you a few months to build the MVP, right? Then uh, when you're about to ship it, you know, you do an alpha, you do a beta. Um, then the number of features kind of dies down a little bit. Maybe you'll finish a few of the features that you really want to have for launch. But in the meantime, it's time to really start focusing on bugs because you don't want to ship a, a buggy thing because it will make the, a terrible wrong impression. We go so far into having a gamma after a beta, which is a paid beta, invite-only uh, release, where basically you're, people are also paying to be for the product. So that allows you, allows you to build all the uh, uh, payment processing, all the invoicing, and test all that in a nice, uh, friendly environment because it's only... It's still considered pre-launch, right? <laughs> um, and so during the gamma, all you want to do is really fix a ton of bugs until all the people in the gamma are happy. And, and that tells you that you're ready for launch. So at this point, you might also do some chores like making sure you have um, the continuous integration server set up. You have a staging a way to create staging environments easily, you know, things that are chores, but that you will need once you, once you launch. So then there's, then you launch, right? And if you've done the gamma for long enough, you shouldn't uh, have any uh, disaster, but you will still get a bunch of bug reports from customers. So feature work completely dies down at this point for a while. And it's all about bugs. And then if you start scaling fast enough, you got to work on chores. You got to make sure that your infrastructure can scale uh, to uh, to keep up with demand, right? So at this point is a bunch of chores, a bunch of bugs and no features whatsoever. <laughs> mm. Then, so this is called surviving launch, right? Then after a while, things kind of normalize. Uh, the product is solid. You don't have as many bug reports. The, the servers are uh, humming along nicely. So at this point, you can start thinking about building new features again. By this time, a few months have passed since launch. You know exactly what the rough edges are because your customers have been telling you. Um, and so it's easier to pick what to what features to add next. So then you gradually add more features, uh, you know, shift your focus to, to that. And then you enter what I call product, uh, um, you know, the normal life, uh, the midlife of a, of a product, which hopefully will last 10 years, uh, likely less in this, in this environment. But, uh, 
certainly a few years. And in this case, you're basically pushing on all three accelerators at once. You do some chores, you do some bugs, and you do some features. And every release is a combination of all these things. Um, another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, the, the, the time between releases, uh, gets longer as you progress, right? Mm-hmm. When you're building features, you, you release because you're not releasing to anyone. So you release every commit, right? Then in alpha, uh, beta, you release daily or every other day. Then in the gamma, once a week. Then you launch maybe once a week if it's a little uh, buggy. Once it's more stable, you can release every two weeks, three weeks. And then when you reach the sort of midlife, I think once a month is a good, um, other than hot fixes, bugs, you know, uh, urgent things. But once a month, I've found is a good pace for uh, customers to keep up with and for, and for uh, your uh, employees to also not always be in release mode, you know, to be able mm. to work on, on larger things. So that's, that's sort of the normal, um, the normal proportion. Uh, then if you're sunsetting a product, then obviously you stop building features and you gradually stop fixing bugs and stop fixing chores until you kill it, you know? Um, but in general, uh, the, the majority of the time is sort of this midlife, uh, phase. And in this case, in this phase, we prioritize bugs over chores and features. Mm. So we, we do maybe fifth, I don't know, 40% of our time on bugs. Uh, I don't know, 30 25 on features and uh, 15 on chores. I don't know, something like that, but we do prioritize bugs, uh, first. Um, for, I think that that's very important because if you have a lot of bugs, your, your support team is going to struggle. Your development team is going to struggle, uh, right. Or either you hire a bunch of people, but if you have, if you, instead you focus on being solid, then you can make do with fewer people and people are happier, et cetera. Of course, you cannot just focus on bugs. Because some bugs are really not worth fixing. It happens once uh, uh, every uh, year, you know, for one customer, you're, that's not worth the trouble, right? And you mm. can never fix all the bugs because they just keep coming, right? Mm. Um, and it's not really worth the worth your time because if all you do is, is fix bugs, then your customers uh, might leave because you're not shipping anything new, right? Right. <laughs> right. So... So a good amount of bugs is good, just just not not too much, I guess. So and very convoluted answer, but I feel like <laughs> it does it does require these different speeds depending on what phase of your of your product's life cycle you're in. No, I, I love how you kind of break it down and, and you know structure that. I think that that thinking is is good to you know how you approach the product cycle. Um, and you mentioned so when you reach that reach that midlife. Uh, cycle. I think that's where you know most of the time you're kind of in more of a stable phase, and you're focused on just growing and you know slow you know growth of the product. Um, in that first phase, so alpha, beta, gamma, what is the time frame you generally think is is a good time to to get to that point? So you know, like you know, this is the time you want to invest to it, and then here now you have a good product. Ten years, let's just you know actually start you know monetizing this and building a good business here. Well, uh, let me tell. I can uh, I can think of um, 
our latest web app, our latest product that we launched in 2018. So, I mean, I, I guess it depends on what company you are. If you're Facebook, right, uh, you have mm. thousands of engineers, then you're going to go faster, of course. Um, but for a small SaaS like ours, we have maybe uh, 15 engineers uh, overall. Uh, I'd say, actually, yeah, maybe maybe 10 work on the core product. Um, so for, for a smaller company, it takes a while, especially because mm -hmm. uh, we don't have investors, so we take our time, we want to do it well. Uh, we, we don't really have a lot of, uh, pressure, competitive pressure, or, you know, we don't have to run, run, run. Um, so in our case, you know, it might take six months to get to uh, an alpha. Then it takes another three months to get to a beta. Then maybe another four months to get to a gamma. Then we like to run our gamma for a while, uh, at least six months. Uh, but really, you've already shipped. It's just private. So right. um, so that that can last a long time because you're already making money. Um, mm. So we do six, eight months of that. Then there's the surviving launch phase, which depending might take, uh, you know, another six months probably. And then there's gradually maturity. I mean, uh, middle. I don't want to call it mature because mature means sunsetting, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, normal, stable life. Um, and that can last as long as, as long as possible. Probably, you know, our previous web app that lasted five years until we decided to, uh, to rewrite it, uh, with a new product. Hmm. So that, that's kind of the, 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 the time frame. I, I'd say a couple of years from zero to midlife, yeah. And then five years or, or 10 years, if you're lucky, uh, for, for the, the long phase. Got it. No, that's, that's super helpful. Um, and, and you know, one thing I, we see a lot of, you know, founders, maybe your product managers thinking about is all around features, right? I think that's what they, for some reason, that's the main focus because it seems like new and exciting and, you know, more and more, um, rather than, you know, fixing what's there. Um, yeah. it just seems to, you know, sound better for, for users. Like, look at this new thing. We've got a new shiny object, right? Um, why, why prioritize, you know, bugs over these, you know, uh, other stuff, you know, features, yeah. UI, new design and all these fancy yeah. stuff. Uh, um, I think, uh, having too many features is a mistake. Uh, when I see our comp our, our competitors shipping fe features furiously, I get a little smile because I know mm -hmm. that they're basically, uh, shooting their own foot. Um, if you have too many features, your product becomes too complicated. So you got to raise your price. Uh, you got to uh, have more tutorials, webinars, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a completely, it, it changes. Uh, it, it doesn't, you know, unless that's your strategy, right? You want to start with something simple, but then you want to move up market or whatever, making an enterprise something, which is impossible to use, right? <laughs> But it doesn't matter because it's the CIO that buys it and forces the whole company to use it, right? Mm -hmm. um, then that's one thing. But if you if you have a vision for a, a product that is kind of complete, that does one thing and does it well, adding too many features is uh, actually hurts because it just 
uh, loses its soul, it becomes much more complicated uh, than before. So, uh, you know, I kid that uh, we have a newsletter and I always want to say, hey, guess what? No new features this month. <laughs> you know, like you don't have to learn anything new. Uh, we're not changing anything. You can just do your work in peace, uh, you know. Because people are pissed off when you add a new feature and change things. People don't mm -hmm. like change. That's right. Uh, they just want to get in and do their work. When they come in a new uh, a SaaS, uh, especially, and it, and it's all different, they're just they have a meeting in an hour. Just you know, like let, right. let me work. I don't want to learn your new thing. Exactly. So we're very careful in adding features. We always try to uh, put them uh, as hidden as possible. Um, we don't bring attention to them in the UI because recent doesn't mean more important necessarily, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're overall, I think, uh, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact that on first glance, our UI hasn't really changed over the years. Although we've added, I don't know, a hundred features to it, but they're small and considerate and only there for those people who actually need them. Um, you know, the power user features are very hidden. They're there, but they're very hidden. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in our case, where we try to build a product for beginners, it's really hard to resist the temptation of building pro level features. Because right. we do have people who live in our app all day, every day. And of course they have some demands. Um, but we, we try to really stay focused on being everyone's first user experience tool. Uh, and so that, that takes a lot of discipline, I guess. And it takes a, a lack of ambition <laughs> because, uh, because we could uh, make a pro tool, mm -hmm. charge more, go enterprise, get VCs, right? Um, but then who's going to serve all the people that we serve right now? Right. right? Mm -hmm. And we don't want to have two different products because it can sort of confuses the message. And we don't want to go through that accelerated growth. We're happy the way we are. Mm -hmm. So, um, so because of that, we're able to say no to a lot of uh, features that don't really fit with the vision. So I think, I think that's a super important point, right? Which is, you know, that self-discipline, which you talked about. So there's one side of like, you know, being ambitious and wanting to go down that path. So, you know, understand that. But in the case where, you know, it's just about, you know, avoiding feature creep, do you have any maybe suggestions or frameworks or tips you give to maybe founders to come to you and say, look, I have a product team. I have all this vision. I want to build this and build this out. Like, and you tell them like, hold on, you know, should focus on this. What, what do you typically tell them? How does that conversation look like? Well, I think it just takes uh, being burnt a few times <laughs> before you really learn. You know, I've shipped things in the past where uh, now we're stuck with it. Uh, and, uh, and nobody likes it and, uh, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the product, but taking it away is nearly impossible. Right. So once you, once that happens to you a couple of times, then you become better at uh, learning how to say no to things that don't really fit. Um, it's hard to explain. It's kind of a feeling of, you know, you're crafting something and does and uh, does this new idea fit in a corner of it, uh, you know, um, without really taking us down 
uh, a path that maybe long term we don't want to uh, we don't want to go down. Um, I don't really, you know, other than uh, having a lot of experience, um, I don't really know um, how to uh, how to give advice because everybody says, "Oh, you have to say no all the time." Well, it's true, but sometimes you don't have to say no. So how do you decide when not to say no? So in my mind, it's the more I understand my customers, uh, the easier it is to understand what product they want, right? So we don't do any analytics. We talk to customers all the time. We have one person that does, uh, you know, five interviews a week all the time. We have a support team that's constantly talking to customers. We try to really foster a uh, very tight uh, feedback loop. We have a Slack community and, you know, we, we, we know what our, what our customers want to do and, uh, and what they want from us very clearly. Um, and so we're driven by that, but to a point, uh, mm-hmm. you know, our main, um, one of our top uh, uh, requested feature is rotation. The ability to rotate any UI control that you use in Balsamic. Mm-hmm. It's the number one feature. I'm never going to do it. Why is that? Number one feature request. <laughs> I'm never going to do it. Never. Okay. Okay. Right? Uh, because it just doesn't fit. Because then it com- it's a simple thing, but it completely changes the nature of the product. Then we become much more a generic drawing tool. And now we got to compete with a million other generic drawing tools. Mm. And also... Sure, it might look nice to you to put a button at an angle, but your developer is going to hate you mm. because it's not easy to implement, <laughs> right? right? I don't want you to you be able to use my product to make crappy UIs. You sh- sh- I mean, I'm sure you can still, but I'm not going to make it easy for you to to do the crappy <laughs> work, right? Mm. So, and then there's some other things that you know maybe two people ask for, but they are brilliant for a beginner which is where our core customer base is, and we'll do them immediately, right? So Interesting. I think it's it's all about uh, knowing your customer as well as possible. So it's not really about the, you know, kind of 80-20 rule of like, okay, 80% of our users are asking for this feature, even though, you know, it might be it, or you know, we ignore the 20%, but it could be just those one or two people who are like the perfect fit at the right phase, and it's just something they pointed out that nobody ever else did. Right. And that's the game changer right there. Yeah. So I think that it's all about having a strong vision, meaning that you protect that vision over time. Mm. Um, resisting the sirens, the, the, the mermaids, you know, of the, of, of uh, new stuff, um, to stay focused. And, and I think that, that that's powerful. That's, I think one of the reasons of our, of our success, um, Mm. And I just want to touch that maybe as the last question before we get into kind of the personal rapid fire, which is, you know, how you, you stuck to your, your, you know, core vision from what it was from the beginning to, to where it is today. And you didn't get tempted by, you know, what the norm is by, you know, typically in SaaS companies, meaning you're bootstrapped, um, you're profitable, you're happy to grow, you know, single digits a year. You're not focused on high growth. Like, you know, I, I talked to your team, you know, uh, KPIs and OKRs and well, I mean, a little bit, but, you know, uh, growth targets and, you know, marketing are as a track, like, you know, that, that just blows my mind. Um, but you, no, you're okay with that. that. And what, what's, what's the thought around that? And, and, you know, maybe why, why did you decide to go that route? You know, then there's no right, there's no right or right, wrong answer. Um, um, it works for you. You know, uh, 
we've always made more money than we needed. And so this has allowed us to focus on uh, creating a company that we want to work uh, work at and the, a company that other people might want to work with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, focusing on the product, focusing on the customers and their needs rather than investors and their needs, you know. Um, and so as long as we do that and have a good time doing it, uh, we're happy. Um, more money means, uh, more, uh, risk, more, um, you know, bigger company, which means it's harder to manage. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, more stress, definitely more stress. Uh, we're making plenty to go around for all of us and we give back a ton to uh, charities. And uh, so uh, we're happy in our little corner of the internet. No, no, I love it. And I mean, it's, that's the, I think that is the challenge of like knowing when is enough um, versus that yeah. you always think you need more, right? And when you're like, okay, no, like we're actually okay. Just looking at it like, we're actually okay. We don't need more. And that's, I mean, we're we're making plenty. We're Mm. a 33 Mm. person company. Uh, Mm. This year revenue should be around $7.7 million. You know, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good company. We're we're totally happy. Yeah. Oh, well, good, 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 uh, good job. And I'm no, proud uh, that you've able to, to stick to I that. I guess, you know, a word of caution, which is we're lucky mm-hmm. that we're building a tool. Um, because tools are, you know, how many brands of screwdrivers are there? Hundreds. They all do the same thing, but the market can digest many, many brands building the same tool. Right. Right. So tools are like that where there's not a winner takes all, even on the internet. Um, there's a lot of graphic design tools. There's a lot of marketing tools, you know, um, people will use the tool that they like best. So in our case, uh, we're, we don't have to grow to survive. We can, mm-hmm. we can stay at our size and people kind of leave us alone, but not everybody has that luxury. If you're building a marketplace, you'll have to be the one or, you know, there can be one or two uh, winners, but that's very expensive. You have to get everybody to know your brand. You have to do TV ads, you know. Um, and so in that case, you have to make a lot of money or you're not or you're, you're not going to last. Right. 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 Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um Shifting kind of gears here, Peldi, moving to the, the fun, you know, rapid fire questions. It's been, this has been great. Obviously, super helpful for people listening in. Um, let's start off with, what's your favorite hobby outside of work that you say gets you into flow state? Maybe other than, you know, planting those beautiful plants. Oh, you. yeah. Well, I, a, I, I do a little bit of uh, plants, but I think uh, woodworking is my favorite. Look, uh, uh, I'm showing my uh, bowls that I made uh, Yeah, little wooden bowls. Uh, (laughs) I love the lathe. Uh, It's super relaxing. It's like surfing on a piece of wood. It's um, so I do. I do a bunch of woodworking. That that's really where I lose track of time, just like coding. Love it. Beautiful. Um, What's something people usually learn only after it's too late? Ah, I was not prepared for this one. 
Yeah, just some, well, some I mean, past we, we mentioned one example, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That too many features is bad. More features is not always good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a or, fantastic one. <laughs> uh, to back up your photos. <laughs> that is very good. Yes, you just never know. Back up, back up, back up. Get that extra high But once it happens, <laughs> then you learn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, so obviously, you've had some, some great success. I mean, you're happy with where you are. You built a solid team um, and continuing to grow. What? motivates you to keep working hard after after so much success in these years? Uh, the same thing that motivated me for, to start this company, which is learning. Uh, there's so many learning opportunities. There's I haven't had a job like this where uh, you have to learn so many different things. Uh, I decided to be a solo founder because I wanted to see what does it take to really do everything Uh, mm-hmm. From idea to support to legal to pricing to coding to uh, server side, et cetera, et cetera, right? Marketing. And you have to really continuously roll up your sleeves and you're always faced with new challenges. And then as the team grows, you have to learn how to become a manager, people issues, giving feedback, delegating. It just, it never ends. And um, and uh, it's been uh, 14 and a half years and I'm still learning so much um, that I'm never bored. Mm, learning, education. Yeah, that's what keeps it, keeps it interesting. Um, so you have a, a dog here named Lucy, right? So a couple of things. What's, what's her name? Is that her name? That's Lucy. There yeah, yeah. Oh, there she is in the background. She's sleeping. She's, t- she's taking a nap. <laughs> what's her favorite meal? Uh, and why did you, you name her Lucy? Uh, the name came from uh, our son. Uh, he picked the name uh, when he was... Uh, We got we got it when he was 10, so we let him pick the name, and I don't know how he chose it. <laughs> But um, Lucy, unfortunately, has to eat a very specific diet because she had uh, bladder stones. She had to get emergency surgery at some point for it, mm-hmm. and so she has to eat the, the specific uh, food for, for dogs that have bladder stones, and she has to drink bottled water. We don't even drink bottled water, but wow. she has. We buy a bottle of water for her. <laughs> Dogs are not cheap, eh? They can get very expensive very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like this question because it's not like, what's the best trick that you taught Lucy? It's what's the best trick Lucy has taught you? Is that, is that right? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, dogs are great because they really live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing to see. And it's a constant reminder uh, of how great it is to really live in the moment. And then um, I like that she needs uh, her walks every day. It mm-hmm. kind of reminds me to work out. Uh, you know, it's part of her body. She, her body needs to move. And so uh, my body doesn't remind me as much. But the fact that I have to walk her makes me want to work out as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I have two dogs myself and I know they, they forced me to, you know, do the walks every day, at least two, three times. Yeah, they're ready to go. Right. Um, <laughs> so final question, Peldi, before we wrap this up, if you were to start a business from scratch today, that could be, it doesn't have to be a SaaS, it could be anything. What would, what would it be? What, what would get you interested and excited? Well, that's interesting because I just started another business uh, a few months ago uh, okay. and it's a luxury Airbnb in the countryside in Italy. Okay. So completely not software related, but um, I feel like uh, tourism is uh, really growing and uh, and uh, we had this opportunity to uh, build this uh, house in the country and uh, it came out nice. So now we want to rent it too. 
Beautiful. I can imagine that's more of like the product, you know, you had a vision around it and now the customer experience is all tied in together. Of the, of the, it's pretty of the interesting. I, I'm yeah. using a lot of lessons from uh, Balsamic in this new business, uh, even though it has basically nothing to do with software. No, that's that's all right. I mean, yeah. that's not always about software. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Feldy. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, thanks a lot. Uh, I like this idea of uh, doing a series of interviews with the same company and uh, looking forward to uh, listening to uh, whoever you pick next. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I'm enjoying it as well. Thank you, Feldy. Thank you. Akil. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.